At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World, where we'll learn to reject culture's endless stream of quick fixes for God's time-tested truth. Together, we'll rediscover age-old practices that draw us to Him, where true satisfaction awaits. As the backpacks are getting handed out, I'm going to go ahead and jump in. I'm going to tell you a secret that's not really a secret, but I'm going to act like it's a secret. And the secret is that we live in a driven world, don't we? We're driven people. Even think about the backpacks. They asked us, like, hey, what's the goal for how many backpacks? And so Kathy tells us we need 130. So right away we say, well, our goal is 150. And then they said, well, we're also going to collect for Pontiac schools. We want all 15 campuses just kind of building that because there's such a need in Pontiac. So then we go, well, then our goal is 300, right? We're driven. And maybe you identify with that because maybe that's your personality too. Like, here's the goal. You want this, which can be such a beautiful thing when done to the glory of God. Yet, it can also be done in a very unhealthy way as well. Let's take our Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 4 this morning. Luke chapter 4, we are wrapping up this sermon series today called Habits, where we're talking about these different spiritual disciplines. And if this is your first Sunday with us, essentially we had 12 campus pastors write sermons for this series, and then every campus got to pick out which three they wanted to cover. And so we're covering probably my favorite of all the disciplines today. We're going to talk about celebration we're going to talk about, which shouldn't surprise you that that's my favorite, right? Celebration is really just joy personified, like joy, one of the fruits of the Spirit. Joy, when you see that two-year-old who starts laughing and they don't know how to like hold back their laughter yet, so they laugh from their nose to their toes, like joy personified. We're talking about celebration today. Friends, celebration is the exclamation point on the Christian life. Celebration is the exclamation point on the Christian life. And so the first thing I want us to look at in Luke chapter 4 is I want us to look at the reason for celebration. Luke chapter 4, verse 17. A good doctor writes this. He says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, given to Jesus. He enrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So this passage right here is so important. Because Luke is telling the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus had gone back to Nazareth, walks in on the Sabbath to the synagogue. And anyone could have really read the scroll at this point. It's Jesus who's going to read from the scroll. And notice it says that they handed it. He didn't request it. He didn't go pick it. But they handed him a scroll from Isaiah. And he opens up to what we know as Isaiah chapter 61. And what we see in Isaiah 61 is that the Messiah is coming to bring good news, friends. He's coming to bring good news. He is coming to free the oppressed. He is coming to bring sight to the blind. That's why the Messiah is coming. He's coming for the destitute. He's coming to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which I'll come back to in just a moment. First, what I want you to notice is some of you, some of you, like you, you missed it, 
And some of you are smarty McSmarties, and so what you did is when I said, you know, it's way back in Isaiah chapter 60, what you put your finger in Luke and you started to flip back, or some of you had that big fat study Bible, so you didn't have to flip back, you just looked down at your little notes down there. And when you looked down at your little notes, what you saw was you saw that Jesus actually left part of that reading out. He stopped short of saying, in the day of the vengeance of our God. I just want you to know, Jesus came to bring good news, to bring sight to the blind, to free those who are captives. And it's not that he skipped the day of the vengeance of our God. In fact, I would argue that it was on the cross that Jesus perfectly fulfilled the day of the vengeance of our God. He took it on himself on the cross. You see, Jesus read here what anyone could have read, but then he said what no one could have said. He said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He brings God's favor to humanity. And then he reads about the day of the Lord's favor. He's going back to Leviticus chapter 25 here. Leviticus 25 talks about the year of Jubilee. And if you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard about the year of Jubilee. If you're new with us, the year of Jubilee, the way that the Hebrew calendar would work is it would have seven cycles of seven years. Seven times seven is 49, right? And so 49 years followed by a year of Jubilee. That year of Jubilee was an awesome year. That's a year of celebration. Right? That's a year where all your debts, imagine this, not weird political, no, no, it just your debts are forgiven. Like all debts forgiven. If you were a slave, you're free. Of course you're free. Because like slaves were slaves because they were working off a debt. That's why you were a slave in the first place, right? It was like you're a slave to pay off that debt. And once you worked off your debt, then you were free again. But the year of Jubilee, no, what happened is everyone's free. The land, you didn't work the land for that year. You let the land be free. It was just a year of joy. It was a year of celebration. Jesus says the Messiah is coming to bring that year of Jubilee, to bring that posture a celebration. And you know what I think? I think that our world struggles with celebration. I think oftentimes Christians struggle with the discipline of celebration. And yet, what other response could we have to the Messiah coming to bring this type of good news that will be set free, that blind eyes will be able to see again? And next, we're going to see examples a celebration. Fast forward, take your Bible, skip over to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse 29. This is where Jesus calls Levi, who you probably know as Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew was known as Levi. And so Levi was a tax collector, and Jesus calls him and tells Levi, this tax collector, who's kind of an outcast, Levi, I want you to follow me. Well, look at Levi's response. Levi throws this party. It says in verse 29, and Levi made him a great feast in his house. There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. So Levi throws the party. He throws the party for Jesus. And look who he invites. Well, he doesn't invite a whole bunch of Christians to the party. He invites the other tax collectors in. He doesn't invite all of Jerusalem to the party. He invites the tax collector. His oikos is the word. The word oikos is a word that means your, your, your house it's your sphere of influence, your area of influence. You have 8 to 15 people probably that you interact with on a regular basis. They're in your family. They work with you. They're, they live next to you, right? You have a little area of influence. Now, Abe, Abe had his 50th birthday party last night. He preaches here often. Most of you know Abe. 
Abe's Oikos, I'm going to tell you because I, I went to the party, it was bigger than 8 to 15 people. But most of us normal folk, you know, it's, it's 8 to 15 in our, in our group. And so Levi's invited these people in. Not that they followed Jesus, not that they believed Jesus, but his response was, Jesus did something awesome in my life. He invited me to be part of what he's doing, and so I just want to celebrate with you. Let's, let's eat some food, and let's, let's celebrate, and it's in that celebration. Jesus is there, the disciples are there, these tax collectors are there, the Pharisees walk in. And I just tell you, the way of the world isn't celebration. The way of the world is criticism. That's the way of the world. The way of the world is frustration and anger and in all these other emotions. It's the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. So the Pharisees walk in and look what they say. They say that the disciples of John the Baptist, they fast. Our disciples fast. How come yours eat and drink? Right? They're angry about this. They are so frustrated. Jesus responds in verse 34 and 35. Can, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in those days. Here's what he said. Jesus is like, okay, you, you don't go to a wedding. And then when the party is just starting to break out, like the groom is still there, you don't go, oh, I think we're going to fast now. That's not the time for fasting. That's the time for celebrating. Jesus is like, there's going to come a time that I'm going to ascend. I'm going to go to heaven. The people will once again fast. But right now is a time of celebration. This is a time when the captives have been set free and the blind are seen. And this is, this is a time of celebration. This is not the time for mourning. And the Pharisees, they didn't like that very much. In fact, fast forward again. I want you to skip ahead to chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, verse 33 and 34. Jesus is talking to the crowd about John the Baptist. He's actually going to mention back to this moment with Levi. Look what he says. He says, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread. And drinking no wine. And you say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. See that? He went right back to that dinner with Levi that they were so mad about to begin with. But Jesus says, you're totally missing it. You know, when John the Baptist came, you looked at him when he didn't eat bread, when he didn't drink wine. You looked at him and you were like, oh, he's demon possessed. The Son of Man comes. Jesus was basically saying, the Messiah has come. I have come. And you look and you say, a glutton and a drunkard, of which he was neither. But here's the struggle. They did not understand Jesus' constant posture of celebration. It didn't make sense to them. I didn't get it. And I want you to know, the Christian, if you start this posture of celebration. If you start the discipline of celebration, there are people in your life and they're not going to understand it. They're not going to get it. They might get mad at you, just so you know. You might have people look at you and get mad and they're going to say, how can you be celebrating right now? How can you think that way? Did you hear what the doctor said? How can you have that attitude? Do you, do you hear what the news is saying is going on out there? How can you have that attitude? Do you know what's going on with finances? How can you have that attitude? Do you see what's going on with the economy? How can you have that attitude? Like there's going to be people who constantly get frustrated at you because of the posture that you have. But then look at Luke 15. Skip ahead again. Fast forward again. Luke 15. Luke 15, we see three parables. Three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost sons. The lost sheep, Jesus says there's a shepherd. He has a hundred sheep, hundred of them. And there's one that he loses. So he leaves the 99, he goes in search for the one. He finds the one. 
And notice he doesn't bring all Jerusalem together, does he? That's not what he does. He brings together his friends, his neighbors, and he says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And Jesus says there was this woman. She had ten coins. She lost one. She didn't have a debit card, so she needed to find that one, right? The Bible says she takes a lamp, and she's going everywhere around the house looking for that one single coin. She finds the coin. She calls together all her neighbors. She calls together her friends. She says, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And then Jesus tells a story about a man with a son that I would actually argue he lost two sons, but we're just going to stick with the one for today. He loses his son. This son went against everything that the father had taught him, goes off, does his own thing. And then the Bible says that the son was still a long ways off, but coming toward the father. And the father saw him even while he was a long way off. And the father runs to him. And then he says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Then let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Isn't that awesome? Jesus continues to teach it. When you see someone who's a long way off from God and they come back and align their lives with God, church, we have a responsibility. Our responsibility is to celebrate. Not be naysayers. Like our job isn't to look and say, well, we'll see how it looks in six months. That's not our job. What? But that's what creeps into the church, isn't it? And that starts to escape your lips. I just want you to battle against that. Because it's not what Jesus teaches. It doesn't teach to have a critical heart and a critical spirit. And to tell every reason why they're probably going to fail in the next six weeks. No, it says our job is to celebrate when we see people bringing their lives into alignment with God. And I know I, I mentioned this either last week or the week before. But consider this. Jesus called 12. And by the book of Acts... By the book of Acts, there were 120. Today, there are millions. 120 did not tell millions. 120 told 8 to 15. Can you imagine the potential of just this church? Just right here. Can you imagine the potential of just those in this room, not even that first service, which was even more packed than this, Just this service, can you imagine the potential in six months if you started to take a posture of saying, I'm going to work on the discipline of celebration because it's work, I'm telling you. I'm going to be so intentional at the dinner table. I'm going to be so intentional with my neighbors and with my friends. We are going to celebrate what God is doing, who he is, of his great work. Man, we are going to celebrate. Can you imagine the potential right here in six months? How about in six years, can you imagine the potential? If every single one of us said, man, 8 to 15, I'm just going to tell them the truth. I don't have to change hearts. That's not my job. My job is just to tell the truth of who the Lord is. I'm just going to tell the truth. That's all I'm going to do. I'm going to proclaim his greatness. That's it. That's all I'm going to do. I don't have any pressure to try to do anything. But if every single one of us just told our areas of influence the potential of what would happen in one generation, can you imagine? Isn't that awesome? Like, that's what we get to be part of. That takes us to this lifestyle of celebration. The last thing I want to talk about is the lifestyle of celebration. You see, Jesus did take the day of the vengeance of our God. He did take the weight of the sin of the whole world on the cross. 
And because of that, we are able to look at the cross and realize that it's grace. It's not anything we do to earn God's favor. We don't earn God's love. We celebrate because we are a people who are not doomed. We're not enslaved. The Hebrew people understood enslaved, didn't they? They had spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt. 400. Can you imagine the children who were murdered in that 400 years? The women who had been abused. The men who had been worked to death over 400 years. And there came a day that God said, I'm going to take my servant Moses and he's going to lead the people to freedom. And can you imagine you're standing there at the water's edge as the water stands on in to the sea and you walk on dry ground all the way to the other side. Can you imagine that? And then you get to the other side and, and you look in Pharaoh's armies because Pharaoh's like, mm, they want my free labor and he changes his mind, right? And so he sends the chariots and the soldiers, go get those people and bring them back. I'm not setting them free anymore. The soldiers, the chariots, they get halfway into the Red Sea when the waters come crashing down. And here the people are. Just picture yourself right there. You're standing there. And someone says, hey, what are we doing for dinner? I don't know. We didn't think that far ahead. Where, where are we going to sleep for the night? You know, is there like a holiday inn or something? I don't know. We didn't, we didn't plan that. Well, what are we going to do? We're going to celebrate. Because about an hour ago, we were slaves, and now we're free. We were in bondage, and now we're free. We're completely free. And church, they celebrated. They had this worship service that was just awesome. These people who had known nothing but slavery broke out in worship and in song. In fact, Exodus chapter 15 actually has the lyrics of what they sang. Listen to verses 2 and 4. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. And they sank to the depths like a stone, which in my head, I'm picturing like, they sank to the depths like a stone, they sank to the depths like a stone, I'm picturing like arm in arm, you know, do do style, and maybe you're like, Billy, you're so dumb, that's not what they did, they had tambourines, read it, it's in there, they were dancing with tambourines and singing this song, because what else are you going to do? That's why we're here this morning, isn't it? We spiritually were blind, and now we see. We were lost, and now we are found. We were slaves to sin, and now we are free. What other response can we possibly have besides to say we are going to gather together? We can't possibly do anything else. And when we come together, we are going to sing, and we are going to shout, and we are going to praise. We're going to bow our heads. And man, when we pray, our prayer is going to be one that says, Lord, if the answer is yes, we trust you. And if it's no, Lord, we trust you. And if we don't hear anything, Lord, we trust you because you are worthy of all of our worship and our praise. That's what we do in here. 54 times a year we get together. Sundays, 52 Sundays, plus Good Friday and plus Christmas Eve. 54 times every year we get to do this. And every single time is so precious. It is such a gift. But you see, this isn't just supposed to be for Sundays, is it? Our celebration should continue to echo all throughout the week. Now, it's easy to do that when things are going the way that you want. When you get the new truck, it's easy to celebrate, isn't it? I got me a new truck. Hey, man. All right. Preach it, right, Ross? I like that. 
It's easy. It's easy to celebrate when you get the truck. It's easy to celebrate when you get the promotion. It's easy to celebrate when the doctors say what you want them to say. And yet, friends, our discipline of celebration doesn't change whether things go the way we want them to or not. It continues because he is seated on his throne high and exalted. That's why we gather. We have to gather because we need to hear these stories. I want to challenge you. Start to... um, Show up a little bit early for services if you don't already. And I'm being sincere. I know it's sometimes hard to park because the first service won't leave. I get it. <laughs> but, but show up just a little bit early. And spend some time moving from these rows to circles and share stories of what's going on. I get to hear the most incredible stories every single week. Stay just a little bit late, just five minutes. Just stay five minutes later. And continue to share stories, encourage one another, pray together, spend that time together. Because you will hear stories, I guarantee you, that will rock your way and completely change the way you approach your week. In fact, the story that I'm about to share with you, I think, will do exactly that. Will you help me in welcoming my friend Cody to the stage? <laughs> you get a little it's like I'm preaching a long time and just sitting down there. So uh, Cody actually came to me, it's a few years now that we've been chatting, and, and Cody's got one of those stories where life's going along and it seems like things are great and you got everything you want and, until you don't and you face some trials. So Cody, why don't you just introduce yourself and walk us through your story physically of what you've been through for the past, and spiritually for the past few years. Yeah, so I'm Cody, uh, Cody Nichols. Um, We'll go back about two and a half years ago. I was 24 years old. Uh, Life was going, what I would say, my way. Um, I was a married man with two beautiful children, um, a beautiful house in downtown Romeo, uh, a great job, uh, everything down to a very cute dog at home, um, a golden English, or an English golden retriever, someone asked in the first service. so life was going my way, what I would say my way, but spiritually, Jesus just wasn't the center of my attention. Um, I was going after the loss of my heart and trying to provide for my family and just wasn't focused on him, didn't think it was important. I was a young, healthy man. Well, I started experiencing a lot of lower abdomen pain um, along with a laundry list of other symptoms. Um, so eventually, we went to enough doctors, one did enough tests that we found out that I was diagnosed with cancer, uh, a very rare cancer called Ewing sarcoma, um, about the size of a watermelon that encompassed the whole right side of my pelvis. Um, it was terrifying. Uh, spiritually, I had nobody. I was surrounded by my wonderful family, but I felt alone. <laughs> very, very alone, and that is a terrifying place I don't want anyone to be in. Um, be at, that was scary. <laughs> um, so I went, within a month, and I started going through chemotherapy. Went through uh, over, I think, 15 cycles of chemotherapy. Each cycle was about a week long, 10-hour days, um, and over 30 uh, treatments of radiation. Um, I was a disaster throughout this without Jesus, without my spiritual help. Um, It was, I was a shell of a man, depressed. Uh, I 
looking back now know why. And as we sang er earlier, uh, I put my hope in the doctors. I put my strength in arrogance of myself. I didn't put my hope and faith and future in God and in Christ. And that was noticeable. Anybody who knows me or was around me would tell you there was a dark cloud that would come around. I was sadistic. I many times just did things opposite to keep myself alive. My wife was forcing me to stay alive. Um, I wouldn't have admitted it at the time. I will now. I, I was angry with God. Um, and I, it, yeah, I, I've come to realize that. Um, but even though I was angry and even though I was a shell of a man, the chemotherapy and the radiation, it worked and uh, I went into remission. Um, and then <laughs> life's struggles and trials hit. And uh, luckily I, um, <laughs> I came to talk to Billy after that because I was spiritually a wreck, uh, mentally and physically, emotionally, spiritually, a disaster. So I. Came but this is as you were coming out of cancer. Yes. So you're coming out of cancer, but you're still just wiped at that point. Yeah, my body was starting to recover, and uh, your body recovers a lot quicker than your 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 mental and emotional ability. Um, so I came to meet you. I was alone. I was scared. I was terrified. Um, so I called up here, and uh, I think I got your voicemail, and I think. <laughs> On the voicemail, I uh, was sobbing. I got a call back immediately, <laughs> and uh, we met. I want to make sure you weren't a telemarketer, man. That's well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember being in your office, and I was uh, crying, sobbing on your on your couch. And along with your words of wisdom, you introduced me to Ross Shaner, um, who has been a huge blessing in my life. Um, I told the first service, I'll tell you guys, if you don't know Ross Shainer, get to know him. He is a beautiful soul, and the most genuine guy I know, my brother in Christ. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I am so thankful for everything he's done. Um, there's been times in my life that my mom, who's done so much for me, has looked at me and has said, there's nothing I can do for you, and would call Ross Shainer my spiritual brother. And, I mean, I can't tell you and stress enough if you are not in a group or you don't have a spiritual family you need to get one ross uh in god's providence brought me to a bible study on a friday morning and that whole group of men are all my brothers in christ they are all amazing they've done so much for me and i don't know where i would be without them so i gained a spiritual family due to this cancer and i was in remission Life was going good. Yeah, and so isn't that the way it works, you know? Because the, the Lord starts to work. You've got a spiritual family. You're celebrating because you were in that place. All of a sudden, like, there was a change that I could see, Cody, in just how you approached worship and how you approached life and how the, the look in your eyes. You were celebrating. And so you guys know when you're celebrating, like, nothing ever goes wrong, right? No, it's not really what we teach here. So sometimes um, life still does happen. Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. So we know that trouble's coming. What was the next thing that you heard? Uh, so for my six-month six scan, um, my cancer came back. 
Uh, it was a local metastasize uh, right next to it on the muscle this time. And uh, my doctor said I had to get right back on chemotherapy. Um, I had about six months of rest. I went into remission in March, a week before the lockdowns. Um, so I had very little rest before having to get right back on chemo. But I will tell you, and I told the first service, I am thankful for that coming back. I, what I tell people at least is my first trial of cancer, I failed. God, it was a, it was a trial and I failed. I didn't use, look to God. Um, I was on my knees and I wasn't looking upwards. I was looking to the doctors. The second one was a do-over. I got to try it with God. And I'll tell you right now, the contrast is amazing. With my spiritual family, with my family, with God and with Jesus it was outstanding, uh, the difference, the happiness, the joy, the love that you can find when you have a Christ-centered life. I mean, the hope and the strength and the future, we sang it, it was apparent. Um, and then Ross and the guys from my men's group, uh, I mean, along with my brother, they would drive me to chemotherapy every single day. Come some, most of the time, complete strangers. I had come knock on the door, hi, I'm gonna take you to chemo today. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, but it, even in that spot, so you're in a place of saying, okay, I know that I'm walking with the Lord now as I go through it. And I, it was just a few months ago, you came to me and you stood right down there and you said, so Billy, I think I have to have surgery again and they might have to take a major part of my pelvis, which means I'm, I may not walk again. Another com talk, talk us through that. Yeah. So, uh, they were going to, I had a few options, and one was to remove the whole right side of my pelvis at 26 years old. Um, that would have left a ton of complications that I won't get into. Um, and I was in a pretty bad spot. Um, I thankfully had my mom and my spiritual family uh, to talk me out of that. I had a saying at the time that, Mom, I, I am exhausted, I am tired, and I want to go home to the Lord. I want to go home. And my mom, with God's wisdom, uh, told me, if God wants to take you home, he's going to take you home. This is his world, his will. And I expand that a little bit. And I say, if he wants me home, he'll take me home. And if he doesn't take me home that day, there's work to be done that day. And uh, so I did end up having the surgery, a lesser form of it. They removed the second tumor on my pelvis um, a little over a month ago. And I just met with my surgeon, and it went well. And as of right now, I'm cancer-free. Uh, so... I mean, I have learned so much from this cancer. I am truthfully thankful for it. Um, it. It has brought me to God. I was put to my knees so I can look upwards, and that is the biggest blessing I've ever received, along with God has blessed my life with the people in my life, along with you. <laughs> um, the people in my life have been amazing, and again, I cannot stress it long enough. If You might think, oh, that will never happen to me, but when trials come to you, you need to have a family, a spiritual family, to help you through that and so to, 
to help you communicate and talk to God and help you. So I can't urge you enough. Thank you for joining us today as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.